Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences as well as current and long-term goals and what gets them through the ups and downs. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you don't already, follow my Instagram account at jparkerfitlife for actionable tips daily to live a healthier lifestyle. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the What's Your Story podcast. This is Jake Parker. My guest today is Alan Thrall. You may know him from his YouTube videos and his brand slash gym untamed strength out in Sacramento, California. Uh, from what I know, Alan transitioned from being in the Marine Corps to owning his own gym, like I said, out in California. And so he was one of the guys that I watched a lot of his videos on YouTube to help figure out, um, you know, along the lines of how to get better at doing the big compound lifts and really what it means to build strength and muscle. And so I thought it'd be cool to have him on today, have him share uh, his journey to get to where he's at. So I'll let Alan give a little bit of an introduction on his end. Yeah, thanks, man. That's pretty much it. Uh, my name is Alan Thrall, and I own a gym in Sacramento, California called Untamed Strength. It's a strongman powerlifting and just general strength training gym. Um, I also make YouTube videos, uh, but that's kind of all part of the uh, business of Untamed Strength. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been doing YouTube videos and how did you get started on that? Because you've managed to grow quite a following up to this point. Yeah, I actually posted uh, a couple of training YouTube videos before I had uh, Untamed Strength. And, uh, and then once I started Untamed Strength, I was making YouTube videos just as highlights for the gym. I would just record some of the members, some of my training, put that together and post it. Those didn't have a whole lot of success and nobody was really watching it. And it wasn't until I made instructional videos, how to squat, uh, how to deadlift, how to bench press and how to overhead press. And once I started making those videos, those uh, uh, were pretty popular. And then it kind of just went from there. So I, I was posting some training videos before I had the gym. Mm. And, then, uh, and then posted videos kind of advertising the gym. And then that moved into just uh, instructional videos. Mm -hmm. So what was the whole thought process and, um, I guess, creative process like behind uh, getting your gym? Did you know for a while that's something you wanted to do was own a gym? And how did that all come about? I decided that I wanted to open a gym probably, uh, probably around 2010 or 2011. I opened the gym in 2013. It was when I was in the Marine Corps and I was about halfway through my four year contract. Uh, and, uh, you know, once I realized that I don't want to continue the Marine Corps after my four year contact contract was up, I, uh, really started thinking about what I was going to do when I finished. And so, opening a gym was, uh, you know, what I decided that I wanted to do. And I just had my mind set on that for almost two years, probably two years finishing my Marine Corps contract. Mm -hmm. So how big of an impact and how long, uh, did strength training and weightlifting impact your life? Was that something that you cared about ever since, you know, you were in your youth and how did that, uh, prosper or kind of wax and wane during your time in the military? I started lifting weights in middle school in preparation for high school football. The local high school football coach came um, at, at the time I was playing Pop Warner football. Uh, and there was an announcement at school that said, if you want to play high school football, the local football coach will be, uh, you know, in the gym, in the uh, gymnasium at lunch. So I went there. Uh, he started talking about uh, football and that they had a weight training course for anyone looking to play high school football. 
Um, and so I really got into lifting weights while I was playing football throughout high school. And I lifted weights all through, throughout high school. I did enjoy lifting weights, but I enjoyed playing football more. Mm-hmm. I was kind of just lifting weights to be a better football player. Once I finished high school and I wasn't playing football anymore, I uh, stopped lifting weights for a little while. And I actually got into long distance running. And so for quite a while, I would just run. I didn't lift any weights. Um, but then in the Marine Corps, uh, I kind of uh, – lifting weights again piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of fell back in love with lifting weights, not necessarily for uh, the result of being a better football player, just because I, I really enjoyed lifting weights in my free time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that didn't have anything to do with the Marine Corps. That was just uh, by chance. Yeah. Uh, so was it just what, like friends that you met that, that you were training with at the time? Uh, no, when I, when I first started lifting weights, it was more of, uh, you know, after about a year, uh, you start getting a little bit of freedom uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the Marine Corps. When you're in training, you don't, you don't really have any free time. Yeah. Uh, but after a little while you get weekends off, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you'll be done with work at 6 PM and you can do whatever you like. And, uh, on the weekends, a lot of the guys like to go, like to go out on the town and mm-hmm. spend, spend their money and do a bunch of stuff like that. And I wasn't into that. Um, so I would just stay on base. And the only thing that I really used to do on base is lift weights um, and, or go to the gym or do something like that. So I went and that's what I did with my free time. So I was doing that solo for quite a while. Uh, and then I honestly started looking at like some uh, uh, like muscle magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I want to, I want to uh, get big and strong again. Um, you know, like I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, and so, but uh, with that, after a, uh, a little while, I had ran into a couple of guys who did, were lifting weights, mm-hmm. and they were doing squats and deadlifts and stuff, which uh, I didn't see a whole lot of, especially deadlifting. Um, and it turns out, uh, you know, they were into strongman, uh, and that's kind of where strongman started. I didn't do my first powerlifting meet until after okay. Marine Corps, but I did a couple of strongman competitions while I was in the Marine Corps, and it was because of those guys. And so we would train together as often as we could. But, you know, logistically, we couldn't always. But uh, they were the ones who got me interested in uh, strongman training. Yeah, that's what I was curious about going from – I know that something that I struggled with and a lot of people, you know, that are just generally – kind of like it sounded like you were at first, just generally into fitness, wanting to get stronger, wanting to get more fit. What was it like going from – as far as your programming went and what kind of lifts you were doing? Were it, was it mostly like stuff that you did in high school that you remembered – or like you said, you picked up a lot of muscle magazine, stuff like that. Where were you getting like your training routines? Yeah, I was, I was actually fortunate enough to the, that high school football coach that I mentioned earlier. He, uh, he knew what he was doing in, in the sense of we would do uh, squats and they were always deep, you know, and he would always say, you got to go all the way down. And so we yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we, we would always, uh, we'd squat, we do cleans. We didn't ever do deadlifts, but squats, cleans, bench press, overhead press, push-ups, pull-ups, and sprints. And mm-hmm. so we were always doing that stuff. So that's really all, all that I knew. Um, and so once I, in the Marine Corps, when I started getting back to lifting weights, um, I remember squatting a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, squat uh, often. I would try to do some cleans if I was able to. Um, I would do bench press and some like overhead or push press. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when I got back in it. That's really all I knew. Yeah. And so I, I, would, I would do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you didn't go totally to the bro routine just the, right. the biceps and chest every other day. No, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that. And especially how those guys kind of helped bring you into the deadlift and stuff like that. Because like I kind of mentioned before, 
uh, I guess one of the major points I would say in my story and one of the reasons why I find your YouTube videos so, so appealing is I did the bro type training for a long time and then transitioning from that into doing heavy compounds, doing a lot of deadlifting. That was a big one to learn for me. It's, it was so useful in just developing my overall strength and muscle. And I'm curious what that whole process was like. Obviously you had probably a better base with doing a lot of squats and different compound movements and stuff like that. But uh, what sort of thing did you notice when you started training with these other guys that were the big uh, key things that you picked up? I remember my first time actually deadlifting, a, re a real deadlift. We would do clean pulls. So it was like a pole with a little shrug at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it, was, it was never very heavy. Uh, so I remember the first time deadlifting, having come from doing a bunch of cleans, uh, I, I uh, uh, kind of jokingly said something like, this movement feels stupid. Like, what, mm -hmm. what am I? What, what is this doing? What, like literally not really like what muscles are this working, but mm -hmm. I just felt it was such a short range of motion. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm not, Cause I'm not cleaning the thing. I was so used to pulling up to my shoulders and jumping underneath it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was doing this little, you know, short movement. Um, and I just remember thinking like, does, is this really going to do a whole lot for me? Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the program that I started following included deadlifts. And so I wanted to do that program. And, uh, also those two guys introduced me to, programming um, okay which is something i didn't really have a concept of at all beforehand uh other than i did see some stuff in the muscle magazines uh mm -hmm. but actual like those were always like eight week programs mm -hmm. to have like a uh, laid out program that like yeah. uh, that included how to progress with percentages and stuff uh so uh, so anyways uh yeah i remember first time doing the deadlift thinking it was kind of silly and thinking that mm -hmm. the feeling like it was a really short range of motion i didn't really yeah. understand why i was doing it but I wanted to do the program, so I stuck to it, and I kept doing deadlifts, and I started to really like them, mainly mm -hmm. because I could lift so much weight yeah. to my other lifts. Yeah, and especially when you start doing that for the first time, it was probably the same with you. Like, I just noticed my strength and muscle increase so fast right away because when you're, when you're doing that for the first time and you get some of the movements down and your muscles start to fire together, it's, it's really something you can progress on fast if you're doing it the right way. Yeah, definitely. And then my other question there was you talked about programming. I'm guessing – well, it just makes me think of one of the favorite videos that I've watched of yours is, or I guess types is like you talk a lot about not overtraining and deloading and stuff like that, which is really important, especially when you do more compound lifts and more really heavy lifting. And so when did you get introduced to that sort of thing? I'm sure that I'm guessing when you talk about learning about programming, that was one of the things you started to learn about was not overtraining and recovery and stuff like that. Yeah. When I first learned, when I say I learned about programming, I didn't really learn anything about programming. I just became aware of like these, uh, barbell focused, uh, uh, programs. So the first, mm -hmm. the first actual program that I did was five, three, one, uh, which focused on compound movements and then actual progression of doing this percentage and then this mm -hmm. percentage. Um, and you know, trying to, when you do your max rep sets to try to get more each week or whatever. Um, and so, uh, so that, so that's what I mean by I, I was introduced to programming and then I did, stuff like the juggernaut method, the Texas method. Um, I didn't learn until about actual, the actual concept of programming for individuals uh, or for myself until I started working with Austin Brocky of Barbell Medicine. And he taught me a ton about programming and he actually cleared up a lot of kind of, I guess, uh, uh, information that I believe that's not uh, necessarily good information. Mm -hmm. uh, so he helped me a lot that's where I actually learned how to program was after working with Austin Brocky. But beforehand it was just following barbell focused 
kind of powerlifting uh, programs. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what uh, and if you could, you know, kind of sum it up, what is the juggernaut in Texas method? I don't think I've ever heard of either of those. Juggernaut method is actually very similar to five three one. Okay. Um, it's just a, uh, it's just a lot higher volume. So for mm-hmm. example, on five three one on your first week, you have fives five 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 with like I don't know sixty five seventy five eighty five percent or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the juggernaut method starts with tens, so it's it's actually five sets of ten. Um, and so, anyways, but the whole like three weeks deload three weeks, a little bit heavier deload, three weeks, a little bit heavier deload. It's kind of the same thing with the juggernaut method. Uh, and it was made by juggernaut Chad Wesley Smith. Okay. Uh, uh, and then the Texas method is supposed it's, it's uh, labeled as an intermediate program. So it's for someone who was just finishing linear progression, starting strength or strong list five by five. And you, you essentially have three days a week. One day is a higher volume day. The second day is a low, uh, uh, a lower volume, lighter day. And the, the third day is a high intensity day, a heavy day. Um, so that's what those programs, and you can, you can Google those, uh, and mm-hmm. find them, find them for free. I'm sure. Okay. And then if anyone's not caught up with the whole, what is a deload? It's essentially, you know, you just either lower your weight or a volume for a week to help your body kind of catch up in recovery. Uh, if you want to know more about that, I'm sure you could ask either I or Alan, or he has a lot of good YouTube videos on that. But uh, going off that, you have kind of touched on this, but did you put a lot of stock in having mentors and guys that were kind of teaching you the way, especially when you were just new to strength training and new to strongman and stuff like that? Not necessarily other than my my couple of uh, buddies that I had met, Mm -hmm. but I did uh, learn a lot when I signed up for my my first few competitions. Mm -hmm. Just kind of Um, self-taught in that way. Right. And I didn't really know what to expect in my first competition, but that was exciting to me. Um, and so I signed up not really knowing what all the implements were, what the events were. I showed up and learned, you know, uh, Oh, that's what this is. So that's how you do this. Um, and so it was a lot of just, uh, being in a part of the community, going to the events mm-hmm. uh, and kind of learning that way. Um, I did, wouldn't say that I had any, any actual mentor. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, I did enjoy watching, uh, Elliot Holse's stuff, you know, years ago when he was doing strongman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as uh, strongman and powerlifting, I didn't really have like a a training partner yeah. that I that I necessarily like looked up to. Mm-hmm. I did I did get to train with those other guys, but uh, you know they were more like really good training partners than mentors. Mm-hmm. Were you were you reading a lot of different information? I know you mentioned uh, starting strength there with Mark Ribito. He's a really uh, cool guy to to look at for as far as lifting principles and stuff like that. Yeah, that was the first book that I uh, purchased that I really uh, learned how to perform the barbell movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, uh, I remember doing the lifts and thinking something along the lines of, you know, there's got to be like some tricks or some some technique, uh, you know, something that can make mm-hmm. me better at this. Um, how do you know? How do all these guys? And I would try to Google like form stuff, mm-hmm. and find some stuff scattered on like T Nation. Uh, but I remember looking for a book on Amazon and I found starting strength. And so I bought that book and read through it. Um, and so I did learn quite a bit from those, from that book. And my initial, the very first how to squat bench deadlift and overhead press videos were pretty, uh, pretty heavily inspired by what I learned from starting strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as far as reading material, I would say I took, I, uh, 
took the most away from that book versus all the other books that I was reading. And that was, that's really the only book uh, of its kind. There aren't a whole lot of barbell lift encyclopedia type books that Mm -hmm. explain exactly how to do the lifts. Yeah. I think the other really interesting thing you said is just that as far as the strongman competition goes, you just went and checked it out and signed up for it. I think that's something that I try to tell people and that I try to, you know, taking a practice in my own life is just, if you're curious about something, go and do it. That's a big part of the growth process. I'm sure that that was more valuable than, you know, reading 10 books about how to do it and about, you know, what is strong man and stuff like that. Just going and doing it. There's so much validity to that. Exactly. It's the same as, you know, podcasting, mm-hmm. you can learn everything you need to know or make sure you have all the right gear or whatnot, mm-hmm. but you're going to learn most by actually doing it. And then, when you're finished, you say, well, that sounded like crap or, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not, I need to work on my interviewing skills or whatever. And you get better at that as you do more of it. Yeah, uh, for sure. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of value to, if you want to do something, just go do it, you know, mm-hmm. just be involved in it. Mm-hmm. So are you still doing a lot of strongman competitions or are you training for anything specific now? I haven't been doing a lot of competitions lately. I just, uh, la- I've done a couple of powerlifting meets uh, last year, but I kind of got burnt out on it. Uh, and I just made the decision that I'm not going to do another competition until I, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to do it. I was more doing it as like, I knew that I had to, it was like, okay, I finished this competition wins the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of getting burnt out on it. Uh, and this year, especially I had a son in January. Oh, and cool. So, Congrats. Thank you. So leading up to that, I knew that I didn't want to be you know, in powerlifting prep mode, mm-hmm. I was anticipating this. And I knew that uh, it was going to be uh, quite a bit, you know, to handle on my plate once he was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't really had any interest in competing lately. Uh, but I do uh, right now, I think I'm, I think the next thing I'll do is a strongman competition. There's actually a couple of members at Untamed Strength hosting a competition at Untamed Strength in December. Mm-hmm. And I might uh, hop in and do that, but okay. we'll see. Um, okay. So I haven't lately, but I, I'm thinking about it. Okay. You know, you spoke a little bit about your experience in the military, and I, I'm wondering how the whole aspect of the military and the discipline that it ensues and, you know, just instilling values in you, how that translates to your weightlifting, how that translates to your business. Because, I don't know, I'm probably especially thinking of it because I'm reading a Jocko Willink's book right now, Discipline Equals Freedom, and he just talks about how, you know, discipline kind of transcends all the areas of your life. And so I'm, I'm curious if you think that that's, you know, two things that kind of go in line with each other, your service and then your love for weightlifting and powerlifting. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's uh, as big of a connection as people think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that I've always been pretty motivated and driven uh, for as long as I can remember. And that was even with sports as a kid, or I used to skateboard and I wanted to be really good. And so I would practice all the time. Um, So I think that that's that, motivation or that discipline has always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one, that's one thing that appealed to me about the Marine Corps was that I was at a time in my life where I was unsure of what I wanted to do. I didn't really have any direction. And so I decided I want to do the Marine Corps. This sounds like something that is for me. Uh, and I, and when I decided I was going to join the Marine Corps, I wanted to be the best. And so mm-hmm. I trained really, really hard for it. So it wasn't like I, you know, joined the Marine Corps as this sloppy, lazy, unmotivated dude. And then mm-hmm. the Marine Corps like shaped me up. Um, uh, so I don't think there's a huge connection. Um, I think I'm, I think that the Marine Corps, the four years that I was in, I learned a lot about myself. Yeah. Um, 
but that's kind of just being put in that environment mm-hmm. more so than, you know, them like shaping or molding me. Yeah. Uh, so even, you know, like, uh, I was asked recently about, uh, like, do you always get up early in the morning to do this or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Is that from the Marine Corps? And I, you know, no, it's not. I used to do that. I used to get up earlier before the mm-hmm. Marine Corps. So these are like, these are all things that I've done for a long time. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's a huge connection of yeah. uh, discipline and motivation coming from the Marine Corps, but. Yeah. It's just like a lot of things in life. It just comes down to consistency. And it sounds like you just have a really consistent routine in the different parts of your life. Yeah, I'd say so. And so back to that military experience, what are some of the lessons you still take with you today? And what are some of the most memorable parts when you look back at that? About the most memorable parts of being in the Marine Corps? Yeah. Um, I would say the, the, the friends that I made, uh, and the, the memories that I made are, it's, it's really cool to have those to just think mm-hmm. back sometimes. Uh, and it kind of gives you some perspective. Um, you know, uh, it was really hard. It was really challenging. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of times while I was in that I couldn't wait to get out. Uh, but I'm thankful for all that because I can always look back on that and, you know, see how far I come or just, you know, put things into perspective and remember, you know, those things through those, those memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, uh, like I said, the, the Marine Corps definitely made me aware of uh, who I am and what I want to do. Uh, and I don't think that if, if I never joined the Marine Corps, I don't think I ever would have started a gym uh, mm-hmm. because I would have been doing something else that might've not put me in so much pressure to figure yeah. out what I want to do. Uh, and so I think that these challenging times in life, whether it's, uh, you know, moving away from your hometown or, you know, joining the military or going through medical school or just going being swamped with college. I think all those hard times are good uh, and they can teach you a lot about yourself if you're open enough uh, to, to reflect on it. So it did definitely taught me a lot about myself. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I agree. So then what was the transition? Like I read that you did, uh, you were like a presidential bodyguard at one point in addition, or was that at the same time? Or is that like in between? Yeah, that was during the Marine Corps. So after or during boot camp, I was selected for something called presidential support duty. Okay. And uh, uh, so I was a uh, guard, like a security guard at mm-hmm. uh, Camp David, which is a okay. presidential retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for three years. And then uh, I was picked up uh, by the Marine Corps body bearers. And those are uh, Marines who conduct funerals mm-hmm. at Arlington Seminary. Uh, cemetery. So we, so I went through training for that and then I became a body bearer for the last year of my uh, Marine Corps contract. Okay. And then you transitioned how soon into the uh, wanting to open the gym and getting that process started? Uh, Well, it was almost immediately. I knew that I knew, like I said, I decided while I was in the Marine Corps that I wanted Mm -hmm. to open a gym. Um, And so I prepared myself as best I could by trying to learn, uh, you know, through resources online and, uh, I got out of the Marine Corps 2013 in uh, March and I opened up Untamed Strength in September mm-hmm. of, that, of that same year. Um, so I actually got out and I didn't do it, you know, the next day. Um, there was definitely a little bit of hesitation as far as like when the time is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a, uh, a little gig. I don't really call it a job cause I made like 200 bucks mm-hmm. for the summer when I got out of the Marine Corps for the summer, I was the, the strength coach for a local high school football okay. team. 
Um, so I, I did that and I wanted to get that experience under my belt. I knew it helped me pre- prepare for mm-hmm. uh, starting the gym. So I, I waited, you know, that summer cause I was doing that and then I, you know, needed money. So I got a job busing tables mm-hmm. at a restaurant. Um, and I actually, uh, my, my facial hair was growing longer and longer mm-hmm. and my, my, the boss told me that I needed to shave mm-hmm. and I said I wouldn't. And so he let that run on for a few weeks and then I eventually got fired cause I wouldn't trim my beard. Yeah. Uh, and so once I was fired, I said, well, this is it. I don't have a job. Uh, I need to start making money. So it's now or never. Yeah. Uh, and so I started then. So it was, you know, only, uh, six months after I got out of the Marine Corps, but there was mm-hmm. a little bit of hesitation doing other yeah. things. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to be forced into it. Just have your feet put to the fire. And because that creating that necessity and that urgency is, is one of the biggest driving factors, I think. And I think exactly. that's interesting as well. When you talk about how you took the the low paying job to work as a strength training, a strength training for a high school, it just reminds me of another one of those life principles where, you know, if you really want to do something, get the experience. It, it isn't always about the value you're going to get monetarily maybe at that moment. But a lot of times it's more about, I'm sure you learned a lot about how to work with people and how to explain the different movements and stuff like that. I bet that experience was very valuable in starting your gym. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, it was difficult at first to, uh, to be this point of authority mm-hmm. with like all the, you know, like you can know, Oh, I know how to squat. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've taught my friend before or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you have all of these eyeballs on you waiting for you to speak, to tell them how to do something, uh, it's kind of tough. And so you mm-hmm. do, you do get better at that and learn. But I remember uh, a short story about the, about coaching those guys. Mm-hmm. I remember I wanted them to squat, deadlift, bench press and overhead press. I wanted to do all the barbell movements. And there were, you know, it was, I'd work with the freshman, with the JV and with the varsity. Um, the varsity was a little bit easier to work with, but the JV and the freshman, especially these kids have never been in the weight room. A lot of them, they don't know what a squat is. Um, and so I only had like six weeks, seven weeks to work with mm-hmm. them. And I remember trying to teach them how to squat and how to deadlift. Uh, and it was just me none of the other coaches could help because they, they didn't know what they're doing. They just kind of mm-hmm. sat back and watched. Um, so I'm trying to teach 60 teenage boys how to squat and deadlift. And they don't, not known to be the best listeners. Exactly. And yeah. they, don't really, they, don't really, they don't really care. They're not like, oh, I really want to perfect my squat. You know, they're, just, they're like there because I want to play football, so I have to come here. So they're watching me, and I'm trying to teach them. And uh, it, it is uh, – a god awful technique of these guys trying to do it and so at, once we put it into play i'm watching them and i'm like these kids are like all over the place with just the empty barbell and so like they can't like they didn't i don't think they had the right bumpers so they can't deadlift you know they're like deadlifting with small little plates and i'm like we're just watching them after a couple of days and I'm like we got to do something different there's no way they're not even gonna they might be ready to squat in mm-hmm. uh and so it was like it was like herding cats. And so at that point I was like, maybe we should do a little bit of strongman stuff. It's pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. It's pretty easy. So, uh, I bought some sleds, I bought some farmer's handles and that's all easy stuff. Just push this heavy sled, carry these farmer's handles. I bought some tires and I had, I told like three of them to flip it at the same time. And so we did a lot of strongman stuff like that. Sled pushes, sled drags, farmers, carries, tire flips. And they, uh, they got really strong and they were excited about doing it because they were able to be a little bit competitive with it. Um, 
anyone can push a sled. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so at that point I was like, man, this group training stuff like with strongman is so much easier and so much more beneficial for them than trying to teach everyone how to, how to squat. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's something that I learned right off the bat. And if I was right now to go take a job to coach a bunch of high schoolers again, um, not to say I wouldn't teach them how to squat or deadlift, but I would certainly be doing a lot of strongman stuff because it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I've, I've been listening to a lot of the more recent stuff in the fitness industry. It sounds like gamification of fitness is becoming more popular where, like you said, they kind of made it a competition and kind of trying to outdo each other. I think there's something to be said for that too, especially when you're talking about teenage boys that, you know, they have that high level of wanting to play and wanting to be competitive. Just introducing that aspect of it was probably helpful too. Yeah, certainly. And I still kind of do that. I still do a strongman class at Untamed Strength and I try to make it somewhat competitive or somehow like get everyone involved, whether it's a relay race or something like that. Uh, and it's, it's hard to slack off when you have teammates who mm -hmm. are counting on you. Um, or, you know, if you're doing whatever air squats while I'm carrying these farmers down and back, mm -hmm. I want to get the farmers down and back fast so that you don't yeah. have to do air squats, you know, for a minute. Yeah. Uh, that accountability for each other. Yeah like that so yeah i think it's uh good and it's perfect for team sports for me it started out when i got into like fitness weightlifting bodybuilding when i was about 16 15 and it was all about just looking aesthetic having that look you know looking like a bodybuilder and now it's much more so just like feeling healthy improving and one thing i've really noticed about myself is i have to have some sort of goal in mind or else i kind of i wouldn't say i get bored with training but it gets pretty repetitive and so i like to I'm, I'm training for a half marathon right now, which is kind of new for me. I've, I've been mostly doing weightlifting, but I might want to get a certain lift to a certain point or, you know, manipulate my body in some sort of way. I think it's fun to have a goal. And so I was curious if you do a lot of that. It sounds like you do a lot of that at your gym and how you go about that. Yeah, uh, I would 100% agree. I think, that, I think that compliance to a program is the most important thing. Um, a program could be perfect, you know, on paper, mm -hmm. but if that person, uh, doesn't want to follow it, there's no buy-in, mm -hmm. uh, they're not excited about it. You, you certainly need to change things up a bit, uh, just so that they can get a little more excited or motivated because you know, the psychological aspect of training is really important. Oh, not yeah. to say you're going to be totally amped to go to the gym every day mm -hmm. there are days when you don't feel like working out, but you still should. Um, but if it's just like, you know, months on end of just dreading going to the gym, uh, things need to switch up. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot, especially owning a gym. I see this a lot and people that get really burnt out on, they start this beginner program. It's squat, bench, deadlift, mm -hmm. pounds, same sets and reps. And they, they get burnt out on it and they end up just disappearing for a long time or mm -hmm. canceling their membership. Once it's like, I don't, I don't really want to do this, you know? Uh, and, and so it sucks. So I certainly think that if someone, a couple of years ago, I was a lot, much more rigid in my view on programming, but mm -hmm. I would say that if you wanted to do some farmer's walks or some sled pushes or whatever, uh, you want to do some muscle ups or try to do a muscle up, that's fine. You know, go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. There's something to having a little bit of fun. And in fact, my training this year, I've been doing a lot of different stuff. I'm yeah. still doing basic barbell movements. But I have been doing different stuff because I'm just not right now. I'm not in that powerlifting mindset of mm -hmm. wanting to get a one rep max squat bench and deadlift. Um, so I've just been changing a number of things in my training uh, because first and foremost, I I just want to have fun mm -hmm. you know, going to the gym. I'm not totally set on these new 
numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, with that said, it, it also depends on your goals. If you were to say, I want to be a national champion powerlifter, mm -hmm. uh, then that's pretty black and white. We would say, well, you need to do this then. Yeah. Uh, Can't really vary too much. Right. Uh, but if you're, you're like, ah, you know, I just, uh, I know that I need to go to the gym. I should start working out. Mm -hmm. What should I do? Or I'd like to get a little bit bigger and stronger. That's a very general goal. Um, what can I do? So yeah, it, it depends on, you know, what you're trying to do, but certainly I think that compliance would be number one for a program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like a lot of times on your videos, you'll, you'll say, you know, I got this weird new exercise or like weird new like piece of equipment for the gym to try out. And it's just fun to kind of keep your body guessing, keep your mind into it. Whereas it's not just always the monotonous same lifts, which have a lot of validity, but like you say, it goes into the psychology, which is kind of endless. Yeah. And I think that it can go both ways. I think that some people are really attracted to simplicity. Mm -hmm. and so if I was to give them a program and I was to say, we're going to do you know, some tire flips, we're going to do some sprints, we're going to do some squats, we're going to do some front squats, we're going to learn some Olympic lifts. They would just say, no, thanks. I, you know, I'd rather not, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, that's why, you know, but someone might say, Hey, I just want you to squat bench, deadlift, rotate it, do these sets and reps. Give me, you know, 45 minutes of your time, three times a week. And they say, yeah, I can do that. That looks, mm -hmm. that looks good. And that's why starting strength or strong list five by five or these beginner programs are pretty appealing uh, or are pretty popular, I should say. Mm -hmm. because they are simple. They're easy to follow. So there is, uh, there is something to that. But yeah. Like I said, it goes both ways. Yeah. So as someone who's worked with so many different people, I'm curious, you know, we talked about how you can do the, the, the lifts that are proven and effective, such as the bench squat deadlift. And you can have this other approach too, where you, you switch it up and you do things that you enjoy and are a little bit different. And maybe you're in a competitive aspect or group aspect. Do you think that there's much of a difference in like strength and muscle gain? If you're talking about, I'm originally following this program versus I want to have fun. I want to get in better shape. So I think that it's, uh, I think it's important the there's not a that real clear cut definition of strength. Mm -hmm. Some people will say there is. True. I think that it's uh, uh, you know like starting strength, for example, will say that uh, strength is your ability to produce force against an external resistance, um, and you know they say that you know through a barbell. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it's uh, you know strength produced against an, or I'm sorry, force produced an ex, ex produced against an external resistance. Uh, but that external resistance is up to you to decide. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, are we talking against an Atlas stone against the barbell mm -hmm. body weight and pull-ups or sprints? You know what I mean? There's, uh, so it's a very vague, uh, vague term to say, yeah. I want to get stronger. You know, you get stronger at the things you practice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's true. So, I just never really framed it like that. That's interesting that you say that it, it brings to mind, I want to say it was like a podcast recently that I listened to or something where somebody's making the comparison of like a champion wrestler might not necessarily be the strongest in the gym and be able to lift the most weight, but their strength and hand to hand combat with another person is just, you know, un unmeasurable in, in a lot right. of, and that's, that's yeah. the unique strength that they work on. Yeah. So I think that it's uh, a bit, a bit of a miss uh, uh, title to say, you know, the strongest man in the world, mm -hmm. world's strongest man, obviously it's cause it's the sport of strongman, but, uh, you have guys who can clean and jerk 500 pounds, mm -hmm. you know, Brian Shaw can't do, but Brian Shaw can load a 550 pound Atlas stone. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are some guys who can do, 
you know, 50 unbroken pull-ups, you know what I mean? So like your definition of strength, I think is kind of up to you. Mm-hmm. And so do you keep up with a lot of that? Like the big names in strength training, like Eddie Hall and Brian Shaw and guys like that? Thor. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really go out of my way to, but it's, mm-hmm. I know that uh, I do follow strongman more than I follow powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, you know, the big names in that. I also, I mean, I know quite a bit of powerlifters too, but um, I know that nowadays records are being broken. Like, yeah, like crazy. so if you were to say, do you know what the all time record is for this and this, that's hard to say, but, uh, uh, yeah, I do, I do keep up with it, but it's more like recreationally. I'm not, I'm not one of those, you know, like, uh, baseball statistic guys. Yeah. Like live or die by it. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that that makes me think of is I've been, uh, curious about the different aspects of diet recently. Um, something I say a lot to people is that, or kind of a story, my own story is like, I got into a lot better shape initially from following more like if it fits your macros type flexible dieting when I first discovered that and kind of came around to the point where now I'm like, I'm interested in just like the eating for overall health and not necessarily always counting calories, macros and stuff like that. And so, you know, you being more about your, most of your information is about, you know, strength training and lifting. What are some of the nutrition principles you have? And like, what do you like to eat on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a, a, a broad topic to mm-hmm. talk about uh, nutrition or, or, you know, cause you know, we have to, so I think that I, I'll try to figure out how to frame this. I think mm-hmm. that just like programming, the most important part of a diet is compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, if you're not, I could have this perfect optimal diet for you. If you, if it doesn't fit with your lifestyle or your beliefs, or it just, you just don't want to do it. Uh, it's not the optimal program, right? I'm sorry. It's not the optimal diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so compliance, same thing with the diet. Uh, so, you know, we title all these diets of if it fits your macros or paleo, mm-hmm. keto, vegetarian, carnivore, all these different diets and people have success in the sense of most people will get on diet because they want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. They lose a bunch of weight and they say, this, pro- this diet is, is good. I lost all this weight. Um, and so there's not one diet that works necessarily. It's just mm-hmm. one you're going to stick to. But I think that, you know, above all else, the most important part of weight loss for a diet is calorie management. Mm-hmm. Eating in a calorie deficit Regardless of, hey, I went from a, uh, you know, my former diet to a vegetarian diet, mm-hmm. which resulted in a calorie drop, lost weight. I stopped eating carbs altogether and went keto. That's probably a huge calorie deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, it's it's in every one of these, as far as weight loss goes, it's a and it's a calorie deficit. And as mm-hmm. far as weight gain goes, it's a calorie surplus. Um, and there are just a whole bunch of different ways to frame it, right, or to package it. And if you, and for some people, like I said, if they want to do, if it fits your macros and they can just, I can eat whatever I really want, as long mm-hmm. as I'm staying in my calorie range and my macronutrient range, mm-hmm. uh, good. And it works for you. So, so yeah, there's definitely a whole bunch of ways to package it. It all comes down to calorie, uh, management, but to say, uh, you know, you had mentioned something about health, you know, mm-hmm. healthier, that's also kind of an, uh, ambiguous term. What exactly yeah. does it mean to be healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about weight loss, you know, majority of people can all agree. Well, I, uh, my weight went down, mm-hmm. lost, lost some body weight, uh, some body fat. 
maybe built some muscle. My waist circumference went down. So these are all like measures of us mm-hmm. saying, I am now healthier. I went from a 42 inch waist to a 34 inch waist. I'm healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a, kind of a, a term that I really don't know the actual definition for. Yeah. So yeah, that's my pitch on uh, nutrition. Yeah, I know. I think it's interesting. You can really go so many different ways. I think the only thing that I kind of get perturbed about as far as health and nutrition is like you kind of touched on. I, I don't like whenever when, when anyone takes like a hard stance because I think, like you said, the most important thing is what you can be consistent about. And what I always try to tell people is that it, I try not to use the word diet in the sense of a specific type of diet because I'd rather just say, you know, your diet is what you eat on a day-to-day basis. Your diet is what you eat every day. You know, so because that helps frame it in the way that this is something that you have to manage for your life. It's not just, I'm going to go on a diet for a month and lose some weight because yeah, that might propose a short-term solution, but you know, you have to eat for the rest of your life and hopefully you can find some things that will always work for you. Yeah, exactly. So if you were to say to someone, we need to work on your diet, mm-hmm. they say, well, I'm not on a diet. And it's mm-hmm. like, you are, you're what you eat. Yeah, exactly what you said. What you eat on a day-to-day basis is your, is your diet. Uh, mm-hmm. So we just need to adjust it, not necessarily go on a, you know, six week template. So, Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to talk a little bit about YouTube now and you kind of touched on it at the the beginning, but I think you've grown a pretty big following now. I want to say like 700,000 subscribers or so. And so I'm curious, you know, when did you really start to see a lot of growth? And then in addition to that, was it ever about the numbers for you? Was it ever about aspiring to reach a wider variety of people? And how did that all kind of play out? So I, the, like I said, in the beginning, the, the, how to, how to videos, how to squat, how to bench press, how to deadlift, how to overpress. Those were the most popular videos. When I posted those, those uh, pretty much got bigger and bigger. And I think that the how to squat video, especially kind of went uh, viral, I guess. Mm-hmm. You'd say. Um, and it was shared all over like Reddit. It was on the front page of Reddit. So that helped a lot. And I think that was, I think that had to do with, uh, timing above all else because in 2013 there wasn't there really weren't any how-to barbell movement Mm -hmm. videos there were some but they sucked which is why i wanted to make my own kind of filled the need Um, that was out there in a sense right and so i think that if you were to make a killer how to squat video today uh it probably wouldn't do that well because it's so saturated there's so Mm -hmm. many you know what i mean so many videos about that but then i don't think there were many so uh timing was was pretty good on that um, but that, that video really blew up, but I actually, um, after I made those four videos, I was kind of like, well, that's it. You know, I just dumped everything into those four videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I never, uh, said like, oh, I'm going to run with this YouTube thing. I was like, cool. These videos did well, you know, I'm happy. Um, uh, and then I started to make uh, a couple other videos and I noticed that people were really liking the instructional videos. So I would make you know, videos like, Hey, here are three additional squat tips or mm-hmm. this video is going to talk about bar placement on your back. And so I would make all these, uh, these videos and it just slowly grew from there. And I would, uh, of course I was making the video and putting a lot of effort into it and posting it because I wanted people to watch it. So I was excited when they would, the videos would do well, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, I've always been a gym owner first YouTuber second. And so it was more of, uh, I started to see a little bit of this YouTube, uh, you know, success carry over to the gym. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I really want 
the gym to do better. So I'm going to make more videos because it's obviously helping the gym a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, not at first and not for quite a while, but I noticed a couple of things. Uh, and so, so as you know, I was like, I want to get this YouTube channel bigger so that I can get the gym a little bit bigger. Um, and I, I always get excited about like, Oh, I made it to a hundred thousand subscribers. This mm -hmm. is, uh, I made it to 200,000. This is cool. So I've been excited about that, but I've never been like dead set on, yeah, this is my full-time job. I'm yeah. doing YouTube and that's it. Yeah. It seems like it's kind of encompassed in just, you really want to provide value to people. I think that that's the most important part that's really being missed now in people that are trying to make a name for themselves online is just that people want to look at the numbers and want to say, you know, cause like you mentioned there, you, you like gaining in numbers, but it's not, I, I feel like for you, the most important thing is just providing value above all else. And I think that that's why you've been successful in my view. Yeah. Yeah. I would uh, agree. I think that I see some people at Untamed Strength start a YouTube channel mm. or start putting out content and they see that it doesn't really go anywhere uh, and nobody's really viewing it and they just kind of stop. Mm -hmm. And I was never, ever like that. I was like, I'm going to make this video, you know, as if a million people were going to see it and I post it uh, and just leave it, you know? Uh, and I was never like, I'm not getting any views. I'm going to stop making videos. Mm -hmm. I was always motivated to continue doing it. one because I liked it two because I did feel like it was helping some people. If it was only 500, then so what? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, above all else, I just enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a lot of free time you know, when the gym wasn't busy. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I had to do something. I couldn't just say, well, it's Monday. I don't have any clients. I don't have anything to do today. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit around. I was like, I'm going to make a video. Um, so it, it uh, kept me busy. And so I've always enjoyed doing it um, more so than trying to get numbers on a video. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of times when I'll make a video nowadays, I'll make a video, post it, and I won't even bother with it. I won't, yeah. I won't go look at it to see how it's doing. Yeah, uh, that stuff can get too in your head too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I post it. I know that I like it. Mm -hmm. I think it turned out great and, you know, whatever. It was fun for me to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll post it and, and leave it and not wait for this uh, validation either way to say that I don't look at comments, to say like, wow, this is such a great video or yeah. this video sucks or you're yeah. wrong or that. Plays with your ego. Yeah, because I used to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And it would. I'd get so excited and spend weeks making a video, post it, and then a whole bunch of, you know, not a whole bunch, but some people would, you know, talk trash about it. Or yeah, there's always going to be those trolls out there. Yeah, and I would see that, and then, like, it'd get in your head, and you're like, damn, this video does suck. Nobody likes it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you feel bad about it. I'd rather just post it and assume that everyone likes it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if these two names ring a bell to you at all, but two guys that are really – uh, I guess mentors for me in the whole creative process are Steven Pressfield who wrote the war of art and then Seth Godin who just writes a lot about marketing in general. And one of the things they always say is just that, you know, you got to put your ideas out there in the best way possible, I guess that you think is best and not, you know, play for other people. Because I think like we've mentioned, you can get way too caught up in that. And I like that you just say, I put it out there and it's what I like, especially that part that really resonates with me. It's like, put out what you like. And I think that, that, uh, passion really resonates with people in a big way. Yeah, certainly. It's hard to cater to a bunch of people, especially, especially when it's, you know, getting to be thousands of people mm -hmm. uh, to try to make this because it's never going to be, it's never going to be perfect, you know, mm -hmm. in the sense of perfect being everyone likes it. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I just rather 
stay true to what I want to, what I want to do and then, and then go from there. Yeah. So what is the creative process like now? Do you ever feel like pressure? Like I have to put out a new video and I mean, how, like where do the ideas come from? What is that whole formulation like now? Yeah. So I have, uh, for a long time I was making very informative instructional videos about mm -hmm. technique with the squat, the bench, and the main barbell movements because I knew that those were going to help a lot of people because those movements are so popular. And mm -hmm. so for a long time, it was just when I was working with a lot of clients at Untamed Strength, it would be like reoccurring issues I'd see. I'd be like, man, everyone, everyone that I work with can't squat to depth, whatever. Uh, so I'm going to make a video, you know, and so I teach them these things. I teach them all the same things mm -hmm. and I, they found it helpful. So I'm like, I'm going to make a video about how to, how to squat down, you know, deeper, whatever, mm -hmm. how to improve your squat depth. Um, so it was a lot of that, those ideas came from working with people and finding all these uh, issues. I haven't been doing this year, especially I haven't been doing as many really any uh, strictly instructional videos. Um, a lot of times it's just uh, uh, I have this idea or this thought about training and I'll try to make a video about it um, or I'll, I'll do a project around the gym or a transformation of building something and I'll make a video about that. Um, so it's been a lot more, I guess, creative in that sense lately that I just, uh, once I find something that I think, uh, that I want to document or talk about, I'll, I'll make a video about it. Mm -hmm. I think, so the, oh, sorry. I think that one of the misconceptions people have about, I guess you might just call it posting something out there because I think it can be from anywhere from like a blog to podcast, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. But I think a misconception people have is that, you know, you might run out of ideas or something like that. But what I've noticed is the more stuff you put out there, it seems like the more ideas just come to you. And so I'm sure you kind of feel that way now too. Yeah. And I feel like, I think you certainly can in a way run out of ideas. If mm -hmm. you're, if you're strictly boxed in to mm -hmm. this one way of thinking. Um, but I, but I, you know, again, I like strength training, just general strength training, so, uh, you know, health or nutrition, strongman, powerlifting, weightlifting. So there's a lot of these things I can kind of tap into projects at the gym. So I do, you know, have a lot to pull from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do think that I've not that I've run out of ideas for instructional videos. It's more of I've just made so many. Yeah. I feel like I'd really be reaching to mm -hmm. find new stuff. Um, and uh, a lot of times I work with people at untamed strength who, who pay way too much attention to their, the technique videos. And they're mm -hmm. like, you know, they'll do the squat or whatever. And they'll say that, Oh, it sucks. It's so bad. And I need so much help. Mm -hmm. and they're like, squat looks pretty good. And they're like, what about my stance? And I'm like, fine. What about this? What about that? You said in this one video and I'm like, you should probably stop watching videos on YouTube and just, yeah. just squat. Like you're doing you're pretty hundred percent of every single yeah. key point. Right, so right. Bodies differ and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think these people kind of become obsessed with perfection of mm -hmm. technique. Uh, and I'm like, man, you're you're not going to get anywhere if you're just paralyzed paralysis by analysis of like mm -hmm. way too much. Uh, so I've you know kind of intentionally not done so many technique videos lately. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're winding down here. Got a couple last questions. So I had to ask you sort of mentioned it in passing, but is there a story behind the beard? You know, you said you've been growing it out for a long time now. It just kind of seems like it's sort of your trademark by this point. Yeah. I haven't, uh, cut or trimmed my beard since I got out of the Marine Corps in March, 2013. Mm -hmm. 
I've, I've trimmed the mustache, but the beard I haven't touched and my hair too. I haven't mm-hmm. cut my hair. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps and when I was uh, finishing up, I was, I was just so sick and tired of being told what to do mm-hmm. uh, in the military. And, and I was tired of being micromanaged. Um, and so I really wanted freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mentioned to one of my buddies in the Marine Corps, uh, I said, dude, I said, all I want when I get out is a beard and a ponytail. Mm-hmm. He was like, I think you'll stick with it for a little bit. But once it starts like getting in the way of like you eating or you like lifting, mm-hmm. I think you're going to get rid of it. And I was like, no, man, I want this. I really, really want it. Like, it's weird how much I want a beard and a ponytail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was just, it all went to uh, kind of tapped into that, like, uh, discipline of mm-hmm. I want this beard. So it's itchy. I don't care. I want the, yeah. I want a beard. It's getting in the way. I don't care. I want a beard. And it's yeah. certainly become like kind of a trademark to where, uh, you know, one people are like, Oh, look, it's an Alan Thrall video because mm-hmm. they see the beard and the ponytail mm-hmm. or, you know, there might've been a few, quite a few clicks on all my videos of like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, like, look at this goofy looking guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is some homeless dude, like, teaching me how to squat. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I don't, uh, I can't imagine not having a beard and long hair at this point. Mm-hmm. Eventually, eventually, I'll, you know, once I decide I want it gone, I will, but not anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not much of a story behind it other than being in the Marine Corps and being completely clean shaven every day and a really short haircut. I just really wanted a beard and a ponytail. And I think it kind of works well with the untamed theme. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so uh, for my last question here, I ask every new guest. So, you know, you've, you've done a lot so far in your life, uh, I would say. Uh, you've served a lot of people. You've served your country. You've helped people out at your gym, had a lot of accomplishments in strongman and weightlifting. But what do you want the story of Alan Thrall to be uh, when it's all said and done? Man, that's tough. You need to give me time to think. <laughs> Take your time. To prepare and, an answer. And I think, I think the, the other interesting thing about the question is like, I, I would say for me personally, each, each year that passes, I would probably answer it differently. And so, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of times based on your cer- current circumstances as well. Yeah. I mean, I would say just, uh, it sounds very cliche, but, but truly chasing your dreams, you mm-hmm. know, if you, if you, put your mind to something and you really want to do it. Uh, just do it regardless of what anyone says, regardless of how hard it's going to be. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I've never, I've, I've, I've never asked myself, uh, you know, what if things don't work out? Mm-hmm. What, if I, what if I lose all my money? Mm-hmm. What if it's not a success? It's always the flip side of what if this does work out? Yeah. What if I can figure out how to make some money doing this? Uh, and what if it does become everything I want it to be? Mm-hmm. And that answer is always, you know, always outweighs, uh, you know, the answer of what if, mm-hmm. fail. you know what I mean? What if I fail? Well, so what, you know what I mean? I lose my money, you know, whatever. I still have like my friends and family. Yeah, life goes on. Yeah. I can move on. Uh, but on, you know, on the other side of that, what if I, what if I do make it work? Um, I always think of towards that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but, but yeah, I would, again, I would say just doing something regardless of what anyone says, regardless mm-hmm. of what, regardless even of, of what you might think, some subconscious feelings about what could go wrong. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, yeah, it sounds, sounds like you're good at reframing those negative thoughts because I know for me and for something I try to preach a lot is that self-doubt will really kill you. And so whatever it is, whether it's reframing your negative thoughts or whether it's you, you know, take your time to yourself to rejuvenate or whatever, you got to keep that self-doubt to a minimum as much as you can. Yeah, exactly. We all have those conversations with ourselves in anything in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if you can win those, those little conversations, uh, it, can, it can really go a long way. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Alan, for coming on. Uh, we'll close with where people can find you online and any more closing thoughts you want to add? Uh, on Instagram and YouTube, just type in Untamed Strength. Uh, Instagram's at Untamed Strength. And then if you just type in Untamed Strength, you'll find the, the channel on YouTube. Um, the website for anyone in Northern California, Sacramento area who wants to actually check out the gym is trainuntamed.com. Um, yeah. That's it. All right. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Of course. This has been the What's Your Story podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, uh, share with family and friends, and leave me a review. I really appreciate any and all feedback. Thanks.